This is Tim Tapp, and you're listening to K-Star and the Vera Network. Command codes verified. is in a crucial stage It's not because of foreign wars we wage It's more to do with the colors blue and red Too many laws and too much government Can you tell me where the Constitution went? The Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread So many people try to cross the border Politicians build a new world order Welcome to today's broadcast of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am your ever so humble and mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, coming to you live from historic Rome County, Tennessee. And we are indeed live. It is the Friday night live show. We're going out on the Vera Network. We're going out on the K Star Talk Radio Network. We're out on Irish Radio. We're on Talk Stream Live. We are literally everywhere that you can listen to any great program anywhere, so I'm in good company. And speaking of good company, tonight's guest lineup, it just reeks of good company. Well, you know, actually, in a good way. Uh, reeks not a great word there, is it? Anyway, uh, first up out the bat, we've got Todd McNutt. We were originally scheduled to have him on last week, and uh, there was a kerbopple. But uh, he was kind enough to join us this week, and we will definitely be speaking to him. We're going to be discussing a little bit about a website that he is pushing. But we're also going to talk about his books. We're going to talk about a brand new podcast that he's uh, introducing as well. And we're going to fight really hard to squeeze all that in and uh, make sure that we don't leave anything out. Or 
we'll have a really great excuse to have him back on again sometime real soon. Also, we're scheduled to be joined once again by fantastic returning guest John D. O'Connor, a.k.a. Deep Throats Lawyer. We're going to be talking about the ongoing saga that is the potential Trump indictment. And, uh, of course, we always end up talking about the mysteries of Watergate when John joins us. So we'll be doing that. And then in the second hour, we will have a extended visit from the founder and the publicist of PatriotMusic.com, great historian, marvelous musician, and all-around great guy, Mr. Matt Fitzgibbons. But before we do any of that, I need to take a deep breath and remind each and every one of you to go visit my other friends, the, the guys over at 4Patriots.com. 4Patriots.com, they have literally everything that you need to be prepared for any type of emergency, and we're going into spring now. We're entering storm season, so between the harsh thunderstorms, the power outages that you can expect, and then even worse, extreme weather like natural disasters and then even possibly some man-caused stuff, you know, given this current administration, who knows what's going to happen. Uh, if you need something, emergency food, emergency electricity, backup, power generators, uh, water purification, whatever you might possibly need, go visit 4Patriots.com. And if you're a first-time customer, you can get 10% off your order on anything in the store using code Tap. That's T-A-P-P. Just use that code. Get yourself 10% off. Otherwise, yeah, you know, uh, they got plenty of other coupons over there that you get if you're not a first-time customer. But don't forget to get prepared because, man, oh, man, if, if you need it, me to sell you on being prepared right now, you've not been paying attention. All right. Uh, one more time. That's the number four, patriots.com. Use the code TAP, T-A-P-P. All right. I had a quick story that I wanted to get into before we bring uh, Todd in uh, because it's just the kind of thing that really shows you who the Biden administration is. And I say the Biden administration because I still don't believe that Joe himself is behind a lot of this. He's okay in it. He's just happy to be in his slippers and eating his pudding and get to go in front of teleprompters and uh, mispronounce every other word that he sees there. But for the second year in a row, Biden has sent the big thumbing of the nose at Hungary. They're excluding them from Joe Biden's Summit for Democracy, which has a guest list that's in excess of 120 countries. 120. But Hungary can't be one. See, back in October of 2020, literally one month before the election for president that gave us the installation of Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., Biden called the conservative, anti-woke Hungarian government led by Obra, uh, Orban, he called them totalitarian. He declared, saying, quote, you see what's happening from Belarus through Poland and Hungary and the rise of totalitarian regimes in the world. Now, I would point out anybody that knows anything about geopolitical situations – knows that the Belarus thing is a bit different than the Poland and Hungary thing. But their real issue with Poland and Hungary is the fact that they do not recognize same-sex marriage. 
They both have laws restricting adoptions for gay couples. They're basically just not woke enough for the Biden administrative agenda. Roughly two weeks ago, Hungary's justice minister uh, literally said that the current government would fight in the court of justice of the EU to defend an education law that was passed back in 2021 that banned the use of materials promoting homosexuality and gender change at schools. Sounds kind of like the ongoing fight between AOC throwing uh, stones at Florida, right? Except that, again, how you look at these laws in comparison to how they actually read, this is about protecting children from confusing ideologies, especially before these children even reach puberty. And I'm sorry, but when it comes right down to it, there's no reason to be trying to sexualize children. And anybody that's willing to stand up and be all upset that you're not letting them do it, you probably ought to be looking at with a little bit of the side eye and a little bit of the stink face, if you know what I'm saying. So the Hungarian government confirmed that the Biden administration has terminated uh, the uh, 1979 income tax treaty. Also, just cutting ties. Now, this leads me back to this question. If you really think that you're fighting for democracy, shouldn't you actually want to include countries that legitimately use a democratic form of government, that actually believes in Western ideology, that actually wants to promote the notion that freedom and liberty is a thing that's real and exists and their government's have a responsibility to protect it for all their citizens, not just the ones they agree with. Yeah, see, that's back in the realm of common sense. That's back in the realm of where we used to be 40 years ago and has been squeezed from political thought for ever since that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know sometimes I date myself, and, and I'm not that old, not really. I constantly have to remind myself that being woke is not the same thing as being awake, and we really have to remind people that we need to be awake, especially at a point in time where we're literally fighting a skirmish with Iranians right now. Had an Iranian militant group hit U.S. target in Syria so then we did a little strike back, and then they struck back. We're literally skirmishing live fire in a proxy bit with Iran. Who who happens to be uh, – we're talking about Iran now – buddy-buddy with China. Oh, China. Who's also buddy-buddy with Russia? China is just trying to take advantage of everybody, and they'll let these people fight us all day, continuing to weaken us and continuing to create other issues in places like, I don't know, the laundry bat that is Ukraine. Not to, not to say bad things about the Ukrainian people. Not to say that I don't support them in their struggle against Russia. Just to say that our political interests there are not ending the conflict or helping the Ukrainian people. Not in a real way. In a time of such absolute concern, we should really be wondering why we want to further isolate and alienate other countries that under normal circumstances would be our allies. Hungary's a good one. Ladies and gentlemen, they're embracing anti-woke 
Western values. Plain and simple. All right, I guess that's enough of that. Let's get into the conversation with our first guest of the evening. He is a man that you probably read some of his books. You've probably been enthralled by the idea of other people's secrets. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show Mr. Todd McNutt. Todd, first of all, thank you so very much for joining us today. Thank you for being here. I appreciate your time. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. All right. We got a lot of stuff to try to cover in a short amount of time, and I want to first talk about what your background here was. What was it that led you to writing the uh, book Other People's Secrets? Because that's what's really your foray into politics at a quasi-professional level, right? Yes, it was. Um, I I started out, I, I ran a company that we got paid to find people for class reunions and things like that. And uh, we moved into the corporate sector where we had the likes of uh, People Magazine had us running, finding people that they wanted to interview and they couldn't find. And uh, then when they lied to me about one of the searches they had us run and why they wanted us to run it, I decided, you know what, this is crazy, this is abusive, we're getting out of this. And I wrote my first book, Other People's Secrets, which at that time was a techno expose on the legal invasion of privacy by computer and was published in 1994. Yeah. uh, As soon as I heard the title, I'm thinking to myself, that is such a great title. (laughs) That is literally one of those things. It it seems so simple that you almost kick yourself. It's like, uh, who thought of the uh, little tiny umbrella that goes – that is a money-making title, sir, (laughs) because you play on the the salacious nature of what you're actually dealing with, and you almost feel like you're engaging in a little bit of gossip. But in truth, you're exposing one of the most fundamental corruptions of our system using private sector technology to invade people's privacy in a way that uh, technically – it's not even legal, and yet we seem to accept it on a fairly large basis these days. Oh, that's true. I mean, a lot of people don't realize it, but 90% of the information that is available on in the uh, information systems and the information t- uh, market, we provided it ourselves. We, when people ask you a question, and you just people are programmed to answer it. I tell. Uh, girls, when they go to parties and stuff, be careful when a guy starts talking about your uh, your uh, astrological sign or something because all he needs is your name and your date of birth, and he can completely stalk you and find out anything he wants to know about you, where you work, where you live, everything. Yeah. All right. So you, you wrote the book. You've had to do a, an update since then, and uh, – yeah, how is it that you've not had to write 14 volumes by now? Because anybody who's paying attention realizes how nasty things have gotten, especially just trying to protect your identity online. Well, that's actually one of the reasons that we're spinning off because, I mean, I could. I could write uh, a dozen books on this. But what we're doing is we're going to stick with the uh, the book Other People's Secrets, which is now listed as uh, Your Life Unredacted. And uh, we're going to stick with that one, and we're going to do a podcast 
starting next Tuesday, uh, Tuesday and Thursday. We're going to be on an hour at a time live. We're going to have guests. We've got a hacker lined up that's going to talk to us. we got some people from uh, LifeLock that are going to talk to us. And what we want to do is we'll start adding things that aren't in the book to the shows. We'll cover things that are in the book, but we'll also add people and technologies and information that aren't in the book and kind of expand it that way. All right. Well, that sounds awesome, and I'm definitely looking forward. Uh, have you got laid out your uh, means of distribution for the podcast yet, or are you still working on finalizing? Right now, we're on. Right now, we're set up to be on everything. We're going to be on. Uh, we're going to be streaming live to uh, YouTube, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, I'm posting, and kind of controversially, I'm post still posting. Uh, uh, blurbs and segments on TikTok because I don't think any of this stuff going on has anything whatsoever to do with the fact that a Chinese government owns TikTok. I don't think it's. I mean, let's face it. Uh, bottom line, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna go here real quick. But okay. if they manufacture the phones in China, do they really need an app on the phone to track our phones and to to access data on the phones? They build the phones there. All of them, 307 million phones, and there are only 80 million people in the U.S. that are actually on TikTok. Which one do you think is the better one for their technology to grab anything they want to know about us? And when you tie that in with the fact that I used to be a security consultant for a company out of Dallas, and our biggest customer was Sanyo Surveillance with their cameras, and we were putting them in all the casinos and government buildings around this part of the country, and I was at a trade show with them, and they had some of the executives from Sanyo there. And I told them I wanted to put surveillance cameras on my house. And the guy said, one of the executives turned around to me, this is a guy from their factory headquarters, one of the top execs. And he said, don't connect them to the Internet or a Wi-Fi network. And I said, why not? I said, isn't that the advantage? You can see your house from away. He said, all cameras sold in the U.S. are required to have a backdoor access for the government. And he said those accesses have long since been hacked by the wrong people. He said if you put a camera on a network, anyone can access your camera, not just you. Uh, that's a, a scary thought for uh, for anybody that's not realizing what they've done. I, and I got to tell you, I, I had heard that it was easily accessed. I don't think I've ever heard anybody just flat out say, guess what? If it's on there, you probably have already been uh, hacked. You just probably don't know it. Uh, it's almost like uh, having your private server set up at uh, your house with classified documents. I I'm sorry. I I'm having a Hillary <laughs> laugh. Uh, just from out of the blue. I sometimes have nice nightmares spin. about her. Uh, but uh, really nice spin. Yeah. Okay. So when it comes to the new website, uh, we're talking about representing me, and I, as soon as I was reading the details about this, I thought this is a really good idea, and I wanted to ask immediately, and we'll start with letting you talk the, about the background, but my follow-up question as soon as you tell us what, it's, what the whole platform is and what it's for, my first question is how are you going to keep politicians from abusing it? Because I know people that – 
want to harass a politician or want to artificially promote one and pump one up, if they have access to where they can do this stuff, we can expect that it gets as nasty as some other places if that's going to be allowed. So I know you've got safeguards against that. But how are you going to keep politicians from from taking uh, liberties with uh, what the system's intended for? That's my question. But first, explain to everybody what representing me is. Okay, with uh, with the um, the website itself is basically where uh, any time a politician talks to the mainstream media, it's either spun left or right, but it's always spun. Nobody ever just tells you what they said. If they post something in social media, it is immediately you know lost in a fog of opinions and dis- dissidents and and supporters that it's hard to get their entire message from them, even on social media from them. So what we did is designed a place where they have a almost a Facebook-like timeline that only they can post to. You can thumbs up, you can thumbs down, like or dislike what they post. They can post a text, a photo, a video, or a document. So they can share that with, with the public. And then you can go in, you can read it, see it, watch it, whatever, and you can like or dislike it. Then we're adding in the next few weeks a town hall button next to their face that you can click on that and go and discuss it there, but you can't discuss it on their timeline. The catch that we put on it for the senators and congressmen and governors is there is no delete button. So once they say it, they own it. Yeah. Once they're on the record, they're on the record. None of the exactly. uh, memory holding of what I said two years ago compared to what I'm saying right now. Uh, that has got to be my favorite feature, bar none. Uh, a little uh, admission, I had heard you saying that uh, when you were talking to Ann Ubellis over at Southern Sense last week. And it's just like, I love that. I got to make sure that everybody knows that's one of the features because that's the real power of this. They, if they're going to participate, they're on the record, and they're on the record. There's no doubt. You just have to scroll back far enough to see it. Uh, at this point, still fairly new website. You are live, but it's still new. Uh, how much uh, participation have you got to this point, and how are you reaching out to try to? Um, encourage some of these politicians to become active on it. Well, we're we're putting it out there. We're asking people to go and register on it. The registration is free. We do not share information. We don't even share it with the uh, the politicians. We don't sell it. We, we the information's there. Basically, so if somebody makes a threat and the Secret Service or someone comes to us, we have to be able to identify who made the threat or who who posted that statement. And other than that, uh, the the information about you is is voluntary. We just need your uh, name and an email address to to be able to give them. Uh, other than that, it's free. But if you, people will go on, the more people we can get on there registered, the more pressure we can put on the senators and congressmen to jump in and start using it. The other side of that is I'm going to Washington, D.C. here in the next couple of weeks. We're trying to put together the trip, and we're going to host an event for their social media staff to come to, and we will show them what the site is, what it does, and help them get logged on so that they can they can find it really easy to get on there and use it. Yeah. You know, this could be a major uh, plus for any young 
politician among the younger that are still idealistic and still believing in doing the business of the people, and you know, especially if they haven't quite and uh, gotten exposed to the, the little hooks that are the special interest and the uh, lobbyist. Uh, and it might help to keep them uh, a little bit more honest as that occurs, because ultimately that's always been the big issue, right? And since we moved away from the days of the gentleman farmer and the business owner that uh, went to D.C., not out of a desire to go there, but out of a sense of obligation and wanted to serve a term and wanted to get back to, to take care of their business, let somebody else have their turn. Now that we have the, this professional class. politician. Uh, yeah, it's really difficult to get these folks to go do the job and to not be twisted. We've seen some really good people their first term, maybe a second term, eventually become just as much as a swamp dweller as anybody else, regardless of what letters at the end of their name. And that has a lot to do with the fact that there aren't enough ways for the people to easily keep these folks honest. We can't trust the media anymore because the media has picked a side. Yeah, and, and it's just that. Sh so I really hope that you're successful at getting a lot of these folks to get on there because it's great to get a good, strong message out there for those young folks. But what what is your major selling point as you go in to go talk to these folks, though, as you're trying to convince them to, to join in? Just the fact that it does give them a clear, direct channel to the population and to their people. Um, the fact that that they can post in one place and let the media come here and take the statements and they can get their message out. Where other thing is we also have a place on every uh, position to include candidates. So people running for office can get their message out to the people and let them know what they stand for and represent. Yeah. Well, you know, for the folks that are there for the right reasons, I think that's probably a great pitch. For the people that have been there a minute who kind of like having the media do their dirty work for them, might be a harder sell for them. But over time, you can put plenty of pressure on them, too, saying, what are you afraid of, guys? <laughs> exactly. And that's what we ask the constituents to do. Once we get this thing up and going, we've shown them how to get on it. We'll be asking the constituents, go on there and see if your candidates are, if your representatives aren't on there, you need to call them and ask them what they're hiding from. Absolutely. All right. Uh, obviously, uh, we are running short of time now. I want to make sure that uh, you have an opportunity to share everything that you need to do. So please uh, share all the websites you need, including representing me, where they can find your books, and wherever you're still active on social media. If you want to share any of those handles, feel free to do that as well. Okay, the book's on Amazon.com uh, and uh, Other People's Secrets, and I also have a little mini book uh, on uh, the Real ID Act, and then uh, we've got uh, the, I'm on podcasts or on other, or on Other People's Secrets on YouTube is the fastest way to find us, and Todd McNutt, I'm on social media everywhere, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook, I'm on everywhere. All right. Thank you so much for your time tonight, Todd. I greatly appreciate it. And Thank I do you. hope we can get together and talk a little more in depth sometime soon, especially after we've had a chance to get this kick started, because I think it's going to be interesting to see how this evolves. Thank you so much, sir. Godspeed to you. Thank you. Good night. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Todd McNutt. And I got to tell you, if you haven't read the books, you need to go read the books. They're awesome.
Uh, I about halfway through uh, the first one, I had picked it up a while back, and I had started reading it. And then I'm like, oh wait, uh, I'm going to be talking to this guy soon. So I went back and I, I'm trying to reread it. But they are fantastic, a little scary, but fantastic, and you need to know. And, and I'm definitely looking forward to the uh, upcoming podcast because I don't see how this can't be the premier place to go if you really need to know how to protect yourself online especially just the folks he's lining up all right with that being said don't forget to check out representing me go sign up right now because your name helps to put pressure on these politicians to help keep them honest in the meanwhile doug it is time for us to take that first break you're listening to tap into the truth my name is joe biden My name's Joe Biden. <laughs> My name's Joe Biden. Do you want America to be that shining city on a hill again? Well, get rid of the politics that polluted paradise. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee. All levels of U.S. government, judicial, and educational systems have been taken over by fakers who claim to be Christians, but they ignore the biblical beliefs and values America's founding generations of pilgrims followed to forge the cultural blessings some of us appreciate and should be enjoying. God will only restore the United States through Bible-believing covenant keepers who act in accordance with the Mayflower Compact, which is a covenant with God. Covenant-keeping people will submit their will to conduct personal and civic activities in ways that are consistent with what is stated in the Bible. That covenant relationship is acknowledged throughout America's founding documents. God abhors idol worship, which violates the first two of the Ten Commandments. We, the people who believe in God, must no longer ban him from open society and repent of the current cultural destruction that is allowed satanically inspired people to take over and run the government, education, entertainment, and even the church. Our republic will succeed when biblically inspired people are in charge of our government. If not, forget about it. I'm Ron Edwards. We'll meet on the next page from the Edwards Notebook. See ya. Second's goal is a protective headgear company with a patented line of impact-reducing products. At Second Skull, we focus on head protection as our only priority so that we can be the absolute best at it. Second Skull has protection for every sport and for every athlete. These products are patented and proven. Second Skull is a protective headgear company. Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acetic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. Hi, this is Matt Fitzgibbons at PatriotMusic.com. If you share my passion for the simple but timeless principles that made our republic great and you like rock music, check out my five albums and videos on American history at PatriotMusic.com. You say gun control is using both hands. I've got to be free the way God made men. And I won't be ruled by the damn UN. 
And now, a Ron Edwards American Experience Public Service Announcement. Boys are boys from the beginning. If you were born a boy, you stay a boy. Girls are girls right from the start. If you were born a girl, you stay a girl and grow up to be a lady. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy. And so is mine. Only girls can be the mommies. Only boys can be the daddies. Yes, sir. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy. And so is mine. This has been a Ron Edwards American Experience public service announcement. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. It is Friday night. We are live on the K-Star Talk Radio Network. We're live on the Vera Networks. And right now, we are live with my second guest of the night. Returning guest, one of the good ones. Ladies and gentlemen, you know him probably best as Deep Throat Slayer. Uh, Hopefully, by now, you know him as the host of the Mysteries of Watergate. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show, Mr. John D. O'Connor. John, once again, thank you so very much for joining us this evening. I always appreciate your time, and you're always so generous with it. How are you doing today? Well, Tim, I'm great, and thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. You 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 put on a good show. You've got a good slant on things. Oh, well, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, obviously, uh, we have this ongoing Manhattan indictment story swirling. And uh, the first person I thought of when I wanted to have a guest to discuss that with me was you, uh, knowing uh, your experience with the law and being on both sides at one time or another and just – seen a political farce when you see one. Uh, All of these are specialties of yours. So I'm sitting here and I'm looking at all this and I can't help but scratch my head if if these folks really think that they're doing something good for their side or if they're just so out of touch that they don't understand that they're creating really bad precedents if they go very far. And, of course, now we've had the recent drops where there's this really – uh, damning witness that was one of the last people, so now they're postponing this, that, and the other. And it's got to look like more of the clown show that we kind of thought it would be at the beginning. But before I color it any more in one direction or the other, what was your initial thought when you heard the leak that the Manhattan DA was seriously considering bringing an indictment against Donald Trump over these charges of falsification of business records, uh, trying to tie it to campaign finances? Well, Tim, I have several reactions from different points of view. 
number mm-hmm. one, this is, of course, a terrible. I mean, it goes without saying. I think everybody agrees this is one of the worst cases ever thought about on about four different levels. It just doesn't make it. Starting with the statute of limitations, going to the federal elections. None of it makes any sense. Now, how does that play out? Well, what it's going to do is it's going to probably help Trump. If you hate Trump, this will give him a momentary boost. This is a guy who's prosecuting him because he hates Trump and thinks he's going to get fame and fortune by prosecuting Trump. But it's going to backfire on him in that sense. It's going to make Trump stronger. At the same time, it's going to make his own side somewhat weaker. The real prosecution out there that probably could be sold as being a decent one, I think there's going to be a lot of partisanship in it, but nonetheless could be sold as a decent prosecution is Jack Smith, the special counsel. He's got, he's, he's a very good prosecutor. Now he's very much to the left and uh, his, he's hand attorneys. So he's probably going to get an indictment in my view. If I had to bet, I would bet he's going to get an indictment out of the Mar-a-Lago thing, some form of process crime, obstruction this, obstruction that. Um, but what, this case in Manhattan does is it automatically it's whatever Smith does. Now, Smith is going to be pushing the envelope in, in a partisan direction, but he probably could have sold his indictment, and still may, uh, that, that it will probably come as being a down-the-middle um, uh, good-faith prosecution. Now, uh, but with this thing in New York, it, it only hurts him. Uh, so the whole thing makes us look bad. And then the, the broader picture is, Tim, is that it makes our society look like we're a banana republic, where the, the party in power uh, prosecutes the party that was last in power. Now, the Republicans don't do that because they're sort of the traditional party. Uh, conservatives are like herding cats. Everybody has a different opinion, but, but they're free to voice them and they don't walk in lockstep. They're not ideological as the progressives are, but, and they don't do that. Uh, you know, you just don't see these retaliatory prosecutions on the, um, on the conservative side, but, but on the other side, it looks like it's just, um, you know, sort of a socialist show trial of propaganda. And then of course the press immediately goes along with it. The bigger media, they're already screaming for a, a Trump scout. Now they don't care about the rights or wrongs of this prosecution so so what i can say tim is this thing is just wrong all the way around and we won't be able to see which way it cuts in the electorate until all the pieces are uh you know are scattered on the floor and we see where it goes right well let me let me ask you this uh, i've kind of postulated this a little bit and then i've heard other people kind of throw it out there too so i know i if i am crazy for thinking this at least i'm not the only one uh alvin bragg uh, he clearly has some political aspirations outside of being a district attorney for manhattan uh is there any possibility that he's trying to push this now, regardless of whether or not he has a legitimate case to try to get a, an actual conviction, because he just wants to be able to claim that he was the first one to bring an indictment against Trump, thinking that'll up his own uh, street cred among the progressive Democrats of New York? Well, uh, you know, I think he's hopeful that he can get not only an indictment but a conviction. He's got to get a good judge, but if he gets a judge that's a Trump hater, 
And remember, judges in New York, like a lot of states, are elected. They're not like federal judges who are there for life. So this is uh, so if you're a judge, you have a chance to be in the spotlight. You're going to go get Trump. Uh, you, you can only hurt yourself in many people's eyes if you dismiss the case. So Bragg, and he will have a decent blue state jury. Uh, so he does think that he can get a conviction here. All he, he needs a couple good rulings from the court. This is a very weak case on the law, but, uh, you know, a court can roll with him. Uh, so I do think he thinks he might get a conviction, but he believes that he will get kudos even if he fails. Everybody who hunts, who hates Trump, remember, the Russiagate investigation failed. Did anybody come down on the Russiagate investigators? No. They said, oh, well, yeah, they didn't and recommend any indictments. But, boy, the, the, the evidence he put, uh, Mueller put together was just devastating to Trump. Boy, so you're, you're not going to get anybody on the other side to say this is, it was a bad prosecution, even if Trump wins it. You know, so I think Bragg, I've got to say, politically – he can't lose on this. He's going to do fine, even though you know and I know and most sensible people know that it's a ridiculous prosecution and he really doesn't deserve the mantle of prosecutor. Uh, it's just a shame. But I think I, I just got to say, I think politically he's doing the right thing. Every progressive hates Trump. There are people out there that have spent the last six years just on their computers every day uh, hacking out. Trump derangement syndrome emails. So for these people, Bragg's a hero. Uh, so, you know, I hate to say it, but I think politically he, he makes sense in this, uh, in, 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 uh, given the attitudes of blue state people. Yeah. Now let's talk about something that's way more serious than political aspirations. If if he does manage to get this to trial, he gets to the indictment, and getting an indictment's not that big of a deal. I, I, we've all heard the adage about being able to indict a ham sandwich, uh, it just all in how you present all the uh, testimony, and it's very one-sided. But if he manages to get a conviction, if he gets in front of a judge that doesn't throw this thing out and gets a jury that votes to convict, this flies in the face of so much current – law in the state of New York, and he's having to tie federal law, which has no jurisdiction in these state courts, how much irreparable damage is being done? Instead of just looking like a banana republic, have we actually crossed into full-blown banana republic status at that point without a full federal court response upending it? Well, you bring up a really good point. First of all, we will look, we'll look terrible, but remember – he is now venturing into the territory where he's having a state court judge and a state court jury decide whether Trump violated a federal election law. So he's now we're supposed to have a federal system where the states do the states things and the government, federal government does the federal thing. What business does he or any state court have about deciding what what federal election law is? And by the way, the federal election people and the DOJ have already turned down this case. And recall, Tim, the case of John Edwards. John Edwards actually used campaign funds to hush up his mistress. Exactly the same thing, allegedly, that Trump did, except he used campaign funds. If Trump did what they say he did, he used his own money. Okay. The case against John Edwards 
rested on the idea that it was improper. It is not a campaign expenditure to hush up your mistress. Now, that's where Bragg is off. It's like, wait a second. You're saying that Trump should have reported uh, on his election uh, statement that this was a campaign um, uh, expenditure. Well, the law is that that can't be a campaign expenditure because it's not primarily for the campaign. In other words, here's the deal. If I've got a bunch of money for my contributors and I go out and I hush up my mistress and then I and I spend their money and I also buy five thousand dollar suits because I think that will help me win the election. Those are not proper expenditures. I can be indicted for that. They're really primarily personal, even though they may help the campaign. The law is that's not a proper expenditure because it's primarily personal. Well, now Bragg is flipping that on its head. He's saying Trump should have reported it as a campaign expenditure. And the next logical step is that he should have used campaign funds to do it. Well, that's absurd. So this is how silly this has gotten, Tim. Everyone knows there was just a federal election official on TV the other night saying exactly on Tucker Carlson, I think, saying what I just said. And I've been following the John Edwards things, uh, thing. I know about that. And, and actually, I used to do a few things as an assistant U.S. attorney that dealt with elections. We didn't get into this, but uh, but but I, I will tell you that the whole thing is backwards. It doesn't make any sense. And uh, he's he also has a statute of limitations problem. So I think even if he, if Trump gets if, if Bragg gets a good judge, if they convict Trump, I think it's going to be hard for an appellate court not to overturn this thing. All right. I mean, in my mind, it's even dangerous just to have a judge to 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 set back and accept uh, a guilty verdict on this in the first place. Uh, not being as familiar with New York state law as a lot of folks uh, seem to be, as everybody's an expert as soon as a story like this comes up. But uh, everybody but me, that's why I call people like you. Uh, we, we have this scenario right. where it, if the judge – has the authority to set aside the jury ruling. I know that's the case in most states. If there's a clear violation, uh, a clear ignoring of the instructions, a clear ignoring of the law. Uh, but if a judge allows this in the first place, if it even has to go to an appeals, uh, we've already done some damage. And what's most frightening to me, John, is the fact that we now seem to have at least a significant portion of people that now believe that they're free to interpret laws in any fashion so that it means whatever they want it to mean, depending on who they're targeting. And, and that is right smack dab in the middle of that banana republic situation we were talking about. But more than that, it's a threat to due process. It's a threat to constitutional sovereignty. It's a it's a threat to individual liberty. And once you allow these uh, precedents to be set against your political adversaries, it's only a matter of time before these same rules can be broken to come after you. Why do we seem to have such a disconnect that nobody seems to be putting two and two together except for those conservative voices out there that scream that uh, this is just bad policy? Because we we complained about the John Edwards case when it happened. I very much remember that, and it was so – clear cut that this is exactly what he did. He had took a major donor that just paid directly, definitely an in-kind contribution. There was no question, uh, barely a smack on the wrist. And at that point in time, it was still enough, the uh, impropriety 
his real punishment is he was forced out of politics for all intents and purposes because he was an up-and-comer, and he was a guy who could have made a serious presidential run after getting a little more recognition on the national level. And he was getting there strong after having been a candidate the first time. I think if he had ran a, another time after that had happened with nobody finding out about the affair while his wife is dying of cancer, uh, that that he could have been a major force for the Democratic Party. But there was still enough decency left among uh, the party itself that he kind of got uh, ostracized and moved to the side. But there's still a right. night and day difference between what Trump's done and what he did. So where's the disconnect for folks not understanding the threat to everyone that even pursuing the uh, indictment uh, poses? Well, Tim, I think you said it. You said it. You know, why don't people uh, get this except for conservatives? Well, the answer is, and that's why I wrote my book, Postgate, because what my point is, since Watergate, more and more and more, and it's been a gradual thing, but a definite thing, it doesn't matter to the media now that they're being inconsistent, that they can do things that will hurt themselves and hurt the progressive cause, if that's what they are, if they're real. They will go with whatever the prevailing uh, feeling is at the time that will help their side gain power. It's very much like a socialist regime. And that's why I brought that up before. Uh, and, and that's the way things are in authoritarian countries. One side of our country has sort of an authoritarian soft socialism where there's a lot of propaganda. The media is, is really uh, a handmaiden of the, uh, of, of the progressive left, and, and they protect, and the, the media protect the people who do whatever they want to do when in power. They help them get to power. And in turn, uh, the government helps the uh, media, and they, they favor them, and there's sort of a symbiotic relationship there. So if we had a good media, then we would start talking about, hey, this isn't good for any of us. But the, the lack of critical thinking in service of partisanship is what's really killing our media. But worse, when you have a media like this, you're killing democracy. Democracy cannot thrive if you have a monolithic media that does not uh, open its eyes to the other side, that, uh, that forbids critical thinking, that only permits one-sided thinking, which may vary. I mean, even if he only has some, un, some meaningless stragglers, Biden can have jewels of classified information that apparently had access to the Chinese, and yet those cases are treated differently. Uh, they should be treated differently, but more to the detriment of Biden. But that's our, our media today, and there's no discussion. There's no critical thinking. I don't think the media has to go one way over to the conservative side. I'm saying the media should state all the facts and let people decide and have a lively discussion. And if you have one pundit saying one thing, you ought to have another pundit say the other thing. Uh, but we don't have that today, Tim. And when you see people talk about philosophers and historians talk about how America has been strong, it's been strong because it debates, it's open, it's got liberty, and, and we're not afraid to challenge ideas. We're not afraid to challenge so-called science, but now 
you can't even challenge science. Oh no, you can't challenge, you can't say that global warming is uh, not as it's cracked up to be. That's that's wrong. Oh no, you can't say that the uh, virus started in uh, in the lab. Oh no, you can't do that because oh, we decide what science is. Well, that's the opposite of the way it should be. And one of the reasons our country was great is was was because had freedom. We had freedom of critical thought and inquiry. And all the inventions we had, all the wonderful literature we've had, all the fantastic discoveries we've had are all because we don't accept so-called settled science or settled thought. We're always challenging, always refining, always getting better, uh, but no longer. Now, 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 oh, now we ossify our thinking, and the media is doing that. So there are people like you and me that want to think critically on things, and I don't mind a good, robust debate, but I'd like a debate. Where, where is it? Where is it? Where is anyone on CNN or MSNBC saying, gee, is this prosecution good for our democracy? Uh, nobody's saying that. Nobody is saying that. Nobody's asking those questions. And, and shouldn't we be doing that? Should we be asking a question? Gee, do we really need these lockdowns? Maybe the Great Barrington Declaration made sense in COVID. Oh, no, we can't ask that. So what happens? We hurt our society. Our society, we had so many, you name it, loss of financial, uh, uh, loss of income, uh, terrible, terrible uh, excess mortality, a terrible, uh, a, a bunch of suicides among younger kids. The whole thing was terrible. Why? Because we couldn't debate what the best approach to COVID would be. And so that's that's what we're going. Now, you hark back to the Catholic Church, and I'm a Catholic. I'm not here to say anything other than Galileo and Copernicus actually said that the uh, earth went around the sun. Oh, how terrible that is. You can't say that because we're the church, and we decide settled science. Well, you know, I mean, finally Galileo had to say, okay, don't kill me. I'll go along with you. Uh, but that's the way it is now. But we don't – but the people running the country – or trying to run the country are not part of a religion. Uh, they're, they're even worse. They're part of really uh, sort of a, uh, an ideological religious type thing without the same principles that we have in all our religious faiths, which are grounded on timeless principles. Whatever you say about them, however much the institutions of religion may err, they're grounded in timeless truths. But we have these ideologies now that are grounded in Karl Marx. And and uh, silly season and uh, uh, you know and Mao Zedong. I mean, this is what's guiding things now. We we no longer have a society based upon principle, and and so forth. So we're at a tipping point, Tim. I think in so many different ways, both spiritually, financially, militarily, you name it. We're on a precipice here, and much of it I blame on the media. Uh, and we have to have, you've got spunky shows like yours. There, there are thousands of smaller conservative shows that are wonderful. And then yours is uh, head and shoulders above the normal. But my point is the big nationwide media are kind of monopolized by the left. And that's, that's, that controls an awful lot. 
Well, you you said a mouthful, and, and every last bit of it's true. Uh, we're dealing with the cult of woke, is what I've come to call it, and I think that's, that's exactly what you're talking. Uh, whatever the it topic of the day is, you cannot question it. Believe in the science, unless Dr. Anthony Fauci says he is the science. Believe in uh, law and order, unless it's our guys that are breaking the law. Uh, we're quickly running out of time, John. I want to thank you so much again for your time. I want to remind everybody to uh, read the books. If you haven't already gotten a copy, go pick one up. Uh, and uh, real quick, I want you to throw all that out there. And if you haven't been listening to Mysteries of Watergate, go listen to the podcast. Uh, John, real quick, all the websites that you need to put out there. Well, postgatebook.com. Postgatebook.com. You can get my book, Postgate, and the book, Mysteries of Watergate, and look at some of my articles where we're discussing things like this. I talk a lot about the media together with public issues. So postgatebook.com, anybody who wants to know about the media should read Postgate. It's an eye-opener, uh, how you can get rid of a president based upon false uh, false media reports. That's all. It just I, I, I prove it beyond a reasonable doubt, and it's really an eye-opener for your viewers. All right. Thank you so much again for your time, uh, John, and look forward to our next get-together. In the meanwhile, Godspeed and keep up all your great work, sir. Thank you. You're doing a great job, Tim. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, John O'Connor, and it is time for us to reset the hour. So sit back, relax, uh, be prepared to hear the news. And uh, on the other side, we'll have Mr. Matt Fitzgibbons joining us again. So after a long absence, he's joined us two times rather quickly, and we're going to have an extended conversation. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This is Matt Fitzgibbons from PatriotMusic.com, and you're listening to Tim Tap and Tap into the Truth. You're listening to K-Star and the Vera Networks. to the truth.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Thank you so very much for staying with us as we are now diving headlong into hour number two of the Friday Night Live show. So wherever you're listening at, if you're part of the live audience, thank you so very much for being here. I greatly appreciate it. And if you're listening to the podcast after the fact, don't forget to check out and follow all the links in the show description because there's going to be an awful lot of very nice places to visit. Places like Represent Me. Places like Links to Amazon to find Todd McNutt's books. Uh, links to find out where <laughs> you could possibly find Mysteries of Watergate, the podcast. And you will also find a link that will take you directly to patriotmusic.com, which is, of course, one of my favorite places to visit because there's some really great music available there uh, from a fantastic historian, a phenomenal musician, and, well, just an all-around great guy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show once again, Mr. Matt Fitzgibbons. Matt, thank you so much for uh, joining us tonight, especially on kind of short notice. I know Doug kind of reached out uh, to you uh, after our usual second-hour guest kind of had some stuff pop up, and and so uh, he reached out, and you just happened to be available, and here you are, and it's only been a few weeks since you're last visit and i feel very blessed to have you back sir thank you i'm honored as well tim hey thanks for that great lead-in that was uh you know very complimentary i appreciate it hey it was you know it was a choice of going downtown and spending money on beer hanging out with you guys so here i am you know no choice (laughs) (laughs) well i have got a few things that i wanted to discuss with you uh first we're going to start from the uh, perspective of being a historian i uh I was reading the story today about how in Iowa, the governor there signed two bills uh, having to do with the gender identity politics where they're kind of bringing that back in public schools to uh, a more conservative viewpoint. So I'm automatically thinking back to how California is behaving right now. Excuse me. And right now, there is a bill passing through California. I talked about this in a recent broadcast. I don't know if you're too familiar with it, but the idea here is they want to protect and shield their physicians uh, from any type of legal consequence if they were to provide – I'm not going to use their terminology here. They they want to say one thing. I'm going to call it the truth. If they provide the type of services that leads to the murder of preborn baby humans to people that are not in the state of California, basically if they provide abortion services, whether it's through the uh, pharmaceutical variety or if they help them in some other capacity to find them, they're trying to protect their doctor, essentially forgetting entirety the fact that they are supposed to honor and respect the laws of other states. This is a compact that has existed since the union of the states. And if they pass this law and then start acting on it, I don't see how this doesn't become a bit of a constitutional crisis. But from the standpoint of a historian, I'm going to kind of step back and acquiesce as to uh, your thoughts on the matter because it seems like something that you probably have some fundamental understanding of as far as how it's supposed to work compared to what they're trying to do here. 
Well, to be honest with you, I would have better thoughts on this had I read the article. But um, listening to your description of it, the first thought that comes to mind, of course, is the Ninth and Tenth Amendments. When the Constitution was ratified and then we had a Bill of Rights, the Ninth and Tenth Amendments codified the concept that Alexander Hamilton expressed in the Federalist Papers, where um, his quote was something along these lines um, – um, one, uh, no, uh, many unto others and one unto ourselves, meaning within the United States, we were supposed to exist at that time as 13, 15 different countries, essentially, with a very small uh, centralized government. To other nations, we would have a single currency, we would be able to conduct business, uh, things that would appear, you know, all of the essential qualities of the republic would function for the sake of doing business with foreign nations. But of course, things have, um, I can say this word, they've been bastardized so slowly for so long that the mess that we're in has made this extraordinarily complicated. Um, they, they, there are so many different things to talk about on this level. It's so complicated today, and it shouldn't be. It really ought to be as simple as it was back in the early 19th century because on the left, you're going to have arguments about interstate commerce on many of these debates. You know, The vast majority of all the cases in the federal courts, in my understanding, are 14th Amendment cases. Um, so this isn't – in other words, patriots may view this as a 9th and 10th Amendment uh, situation that refers specifically to the federal government having only the enumerated powers that are listed in the Constitution. But in reality, the way that this works its way through the courts is far more complex. I mean, we didn't see a Second Amendment case, uh, for example, after I think it was 1938 with Miller until only a handful of years ago, the Heller case, and then two others since then. And they still haven't gone back to what everybody knows the Second Amendment means. So even if three different district courts end up with entirely different rulings on this and it works its way through those courts in six years, we still may not have an answer. And yet anyone who reads the Constitution and the Bill of Rights can see very clearly what was intended and what once worked. And that's not what's happening now. Yeah, uh, that's, that's pretty obvious. Uh, and that's part of our biggest complaint. If you are a conservative that believes in the Constitution and the, the founding of a constitutionally federated republic, if you believe in the idea of federalism to the extent that, okay, states have rights. States should be able to do what they want to do within their boundaries, uh, no overreach from the federal government, uh, smack their hand back. I believe in nullification. I think it's a great tool in the state's toolbox to try and prevent that. But you also have this now – it's a strange way they're, – they're literally trying to tear down the entire framework of the republic by passing a law like this because essentially what they're saying is if our doctor has a telehealth conference with a 22-year-old uh, uh, college girl at the University of Alabama – where Alabama has strictly stated there there cannot be uh, on-demand abortion. We're not allowing these uh, medicated abortions, especially since most of the medications that are used have such strong side effects that where they're still prescribed legally, you're required to stay on premises for at least an hour, and most places require longer than that to make sure you're not going to have a bad reaction. Uh, 
they're going to ignore the fact that in Alabama that's not allowed. They're going to write the prescription. They're going to send it through a mail order so that nobody there is going to technically know what's happening until some young girl gets hurt badly as a result. And then it's going to be the question of how does Alabama stop California and how do you not hold a medical professional legally liable for that if they're shielded in their home state? Because at this point, you would almost have to extradite them, which is also technically supposed to be an automatic under uh, the way we've established our relationship as a group of states. But clearly in California, I have no doubt that they would fight that extradition tooth and nail. They'd probably ignore it flat out. How does this not become a constitutional crisis? Yeah, it certainly will be. And, you know, the way that this plays out, only time will tell. I will say, though, um, I try to take the, the glasses half full approach often whenever possible. Uh, life is hard enough, you know, but if, if we look at the United States and the success of individuals, you know, people are not trying to escape from the United States. What what you're doing, what I'm doing, what so many of these other people, your guest, uh, Todd, who was just on, are doing, what all of us are doing is we have some some knowledge of history, we have some knowledge of uh, human nature, and we understand where people are most free under what circumstances. And this is not a perfect system by any stretch of the imagination, but it's an inevitability with liberty, individual liberty, to have this constant struggle between the individual and government. So my my glass half full approach to this is that the process that is agonizingly slow that we have to watch play out in the courts is essential. But I would say one of the biggest takeaways, two takeaways I'd, I'd like to leave to your listeners, most of whom probably already know this, but the two takeaways are one, this illustrates the importance of the quality of uh, judges, district judges, and particularly Supreme Court judges. It's absolutely essential that we've got good people. The second thing I'd like to leave as a takeaway to people in, in this complex legal situation is the, the are the reasons why our founders wanted a, a republic rather than a democracy. Everyone refers to the United States as a democracy kind of colloquially, and it's a big mistake because democracies always commit suicide. And a simple example of this would be Forget about the fact that the the uh, you know U.S. federal law is roughly 25 times the size of the Bible. It's it's that massive. But at the end of the day, even if it were one percent the size of it, everyone is busy working, raising their children, trying to pay their bills, and of course, life interferes with everything. You know, there are people out there who are sick or loved ones who are ill, and there's car accidents, and everyone is busy, and their life is absolutely full with things, and you can't possibly, as an individual, be an expert on every subject. So that's the first reason that we have a republic. We choose representatives, whether it be in the House or the Senate, on a state level or the federal level who are supposed to then surround themselves with experts so that they could vote uh, with you know expertise behind their vote. The second reason is because in a, in a, in a republic like we have, consider um, Arizona, for example, somebody's driving outside, you know, driving um, during, you know, the uh, dry season, they throw a cigarette out the window. You know, that could burn down 
hundreds of thousands of acres and kill people and destroy billions of dollars worth of property or in Southern California, places like that. But if you do that, for example, in the autumn in the Northeast, your cigarette's going to go out. You know, maybe it'll burn a two or three foot area. So that's a simple example of why you want to have the vast majority of the power in the state's hands, because a one size fits all approach is not good at all. It also creates this distance between the individual citizen and their representatives or their government in general. So you, you want to have small localized government wherever you can possibly do it. And so, again, just kind of wrap it up. Although this is a very, very complicated case, and we're going to see arguments 14th Amendment, 9th Amendment, 10th Amendment. We're going to see Interstate Commerce Act amendments, I mean, references. At the end of the day, it's got to work its way through its courts. And what we need to do is make sure that we have strict constructionists or those who understand that this is a republic in the court system so that they're looking out for the interests of keeping the relationship between the citizen and the government very, very small and short. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole argument for the federalist system. You want to have people that are elected that are going to be accountable to the people they're representing. And the further up you elevate the form of government you're talking about, the less the individual gets to influence those individuals, which is why you want to have the majority of your governmental interactions to be at the local level. Uh, The federal government was initially designed so that you would very rarely have to have an interaction with them. And if it was that instance, it would usually be because you had wanted to have that interaction, not have to worry about jumping through hoops to keep them happy for this, that, or the other. And we've been on that uh, steady downward slope of overreach and continued manipulation and power grabs for so long that so many people now don't even understand that the way it was created was designed to protect minority voices. Uh, So many people that argue against the Electoral College, for example, uh, it's typically people claiming to do so in the name of minority voices when in fact That's what it's designed to protect, and it's hard to even get somebody to listen long enough to hear the difference. But your point's spot on about the judges in these uh, cases that are going to have to hear it. We still have that disconnect now, however, where it feels like – and you're welcome to correct me if you think I'm wrong here, Matt – but it really feels like so much – of the left-leaning political ideology has slowly taken over university, and now, of course, it's reaching its tendrils down to lower uh, levels of education to get younger kids so that they can try to further indoctrinate, make it harder to deprogram, if you will, because ordinarily, college kid goes into college, gets influenced by a college professor that leans to the left. They're feeling all, yes, yes, we're going to go save the world, but then a few years after they've been out into the Uh, quote, real world, they figure out that a lot of that just doesn't work in a real fashion. But if they can indoctrinate them younger, it's harder to undo that. But so much of the professional world now, whether you're talking about CEOs and businesses or whether you're talking about judges sitting on a bench, have been so indoctrinated by the left, they seem to look at the Constitution and 
any setting law that they just disagree with as being an obstacle as opposed to their responsibility to try to make sure that the law works the way it's supposed to, to protect everyone. And that's my major concern here. This feels like an effort to undo the glue that is federalism. You can't pass a law in your state that tells you you're going to ignore the laws of another state and feel like you're being a good uh, member of the union, can you? Well, they have no interest in doing that. I mean, if you anyone who's a student of history, even in passing, understands that all forms of collectivism, whether it be national socialism, of course, Nazism, um, communism, socialism, um, all of these forms of government always, always, without exception, deteriorate into aristocracy. And so, when you look at a local level, these collectivists, whatever you know, excuse for a political party they claim to belong to, when they try these stupid ideas in in a PTA or some public small town forum, they get shut down. So what do they do? They band together and they have uh, created this systematic approach to trying to subvert and undermine our constitutional principles. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here, both you and your listeners, but at the end of the day, if they find the Constitution and the Bill of Rights to be an obstacle Good. That's exactly why it's there. It's supposed to be an obstacle against people who think they know better than others because ultimately when you follow their philosophy from what they're saying to its logical ends, what you discover is a holier-than-thou principle, an arrogance that is inevitably leads to minimized individual liberty, maximized federal control, and hypocrisy on the part of the people who are speaking because they are never subjected to the same laws and rules and regulations in you know the construct of their improvement of society you know so yeah um ultimately it's supposed to serve as a speed bump or as a wall against their ideas and what we need to do is make sure that it serves its function yeah. Well, you know, I've, I've often made the point, especially when these emotional arguments about gun control pop up, things of that nature, that there's a reason why we have such a slow and methodical system. It was designed that way to avoid knee-jerk reactions. Emotional responses to emotional situations often leads to an exacerbation of the problem as opposed to a solution. So we do need that, and that's an excellent point to make. I just – I get so concerned that – when we look around at these circumstances, there doesn't seem to be a significant amount of critical thinking and pushback uh, being done out of fear of being canceled or out of fear of not being reelected or simply out of the fact that you don't want to have uh, the fight. So many people are just like, eh, it's not worth it. And you, you can't even blame somebody for feeling like that. It's like life is short. So minutes of my time and energy uh, I need to dedicate to, to earning my living, and then uh, so much more I need to devote to living my living. Uh, who's got time to waste time arguing with idiots? And you can't blame somebody for feeling that way, uh, even if it happens to be somebody on the other side thinking that I'm the idiot. I'm okay if you don't want to engage, but if you do want to engage, we need to involve critical thinking, and we need to involve actual facts when we have our discussions. And I think that's part of where the disconnect comes from, too. Nobody wants to have the discussion because either A, they're afraid they'll be proven to be wrong, or B, 
they just don't want to bother because they can go watch something on television instead. And in the process, those who would do harm to the republic, those who would seek to garner power and authority for themselves for no other reason than their own self-gratification or for their self-gain, they continue to gain ground. And uh, I'm afraid that, you know, we, we talk a lot about the pendulum swinging back and forth. And I've seen a lot of signs that we are starting to get an awakening for folks realizing how far they want to push. But I'm afraid that by the time that pendulum starts swinging back, they're going to have figured out a way to jam the gearing. And it may be too late to do this in a peaceful manner. And every time I say that, people accuse me of trying to format the violence in the Civil War. And that's not what I'm saying. But. That's where my mind goes when I see how extreme some of these people get. So I, I much prefer your glass half full uh, mentality. That's the uh, that's the only way to, to still feel positive about things at this point. Yeah, you know, and one of, one of the most important things here's another kind of glass half full approach to it. Um, a quick one is that. The Republic was designed with this incredible genius behind it so that a state, for example, um, can do something the way that it wants to do, and the other 49 states can analyze it and, and a ask the question whether or not it could potentially work for them. And um, the reverse is true as well. In a state that uh, is looking at a question for how to solve a particular problem, they can look at 49 other ways that it's been done. And, and you know, this is kind of capitalism, individual liberty, freedom, entrepreneurialism. It's all tied in together. In other words, one individual state can look at this experiment and all the different ways that it's being conducted around the republic to look at the data and analyze it. And the bottom line is when you look at the philosophy, the suggestions or the demands really of the collectivists and the Democratic Party and the neocons and the Marxists and the socialists, although I just just repeated that when I said Democratic Party and Socialists and Marxists, but science, logic, history. Basically, the vast majority of all of their arguments and debates just get shut down with facts. It's very, very simple. The question is whether or not people pay attention. I know your listeners do, but – the trick is to know these little arguments, think about them so that, you know, when you're when you find yourself in an opportunity to have a discussion with someone who will actually be respectful and not fall back on some ad hominem personal attack on you, you can actually have a discussion with someone. You can make these very simple arguments that our founders made that got us this system from this disparate group of states and individuals who had very little in common except a, 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 a hatred of aristocracy and a passion for individual liberty. Yeah. Well, very well said, sir, and that is part of why I love having you on the show. Uh Speaking of the show, that reminds me that we do have to take a break, and I think we can probably get away with taking that mid-hour break just a little early so we can really delve into the uh, second topic that I want to discuss with you from the standpoint of a creator. Uh, the historian first, the creator second. Uh, we will pick that up as I'm trying to buy time for uh, Doug to get over to push the right buttons when he's ready. In the meanwhile, you guys don't go anywhere. We will continue our conversation on the other end of this break with Matt Fitzgibbons, the purveyor of PatriotMusic.com. And as you can tell, a man who 
when I say he's a historian, he really is, guys. See what we're talking about? We'll be right back. It's been two whole days since she's gotten a wink. She heads to a cop for an hour. A quick bite to eat and then back on her feet. If time allows, maybe a shower. The child is crying, his mother is gone. Nobody else hears his call. She turns back to help like an angel in white and flies down the hall. This is Matt Fitzgibbons of PatriotMusic.com, and you're listening to Tim Tap and Tap into the Truth. Now, the American nightmare. Do we continue to choose it or change it? Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee. During the nifty 50s, Detroit was the wealthiest city on earth. General Motors was the world's largest corporation. Life was very good. Of course, there were certain racially inspired wrongdoings, but rather than fighting for and building upon the many good aspects of America, including economic opportunities, Black Detroiters were conned into helping white leftist Democrats steer the city away from economic prosperity and happily supported black socialist politicians who helped leftist white Democrats tax and regulate Detroit into economic ruin. Many Detroiters and Michiganders have proudly said, as Detroit goes, so goes the nation. I hate to admit it, but those loud and proud Michiganders were correct. Just like Detroit, the U.S. has taxed, regulated, and negotiated away the manufacturing base and could soon, just like Detroit, be dominated by blighted vistas and greatly reduced economic opportunities. To add insult to injury, like great numbers of Detroiters, vast numbers of Americans could soon be existing in a tyrannical American nightmare. The question is, will Americans continue to choose the nightmare or change it? Join me live weekdays to find out where. Go to theronedwards.com. I'm Ron Edwards. See ya. These stocks designed specifically for people who haven't started investing yet or don't know how to do it or haven't been trained how to do it or are worried about investing in the stock market that they've never done before. It's a robo-advisor system that really simplifies the investing process. In other words... Put aside 10% of your salary each week, maybe just $100, and let it go to work in the stock market for you. And what Beanstalk does is basically automate that process for you. Easy to set up. You can transfer directly to your bank account and puts it into exchange-traded funds, which are baskets of many stocks, which gives you diversification. That's the whole key. The idea that you can have this done for you weekly or bi-monthly, but the most important thing is to start now and make it so that you are putting something aside for your own retirement. Beanstalks just makes it really simple to do.
constitutional grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acetic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, constitutional grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the constitutional grounds coffee display to make your purchase constitutional grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. Hi, this is Matt Fitzgibbons at PatriotMusic.com. If you share my passion for the simple but timeless principles that made our republic great and you like rock music, check out my five albums and videos on American history at PatriotMusic.com. You say gun control is using both hands. I've got to be free the way God made men. And I won't be ruled by the damn U.N. Hello, my name is Tyler Boone, singer-songwriter and founder of the award-winning homegrown Boone's Bourbon label out of Charleston, South Carolina. In just four years, Boone's Bourbon has been awarded some incredible awards, such as the Platinum Los Angeles, Double Gold New York, Gold Las Vegas, Silver Denver, and also named Top Six in the World in Forbes. We're also being featured in Rolling Stone magazine, Billboard magazine, American Songwriter, and we're also now available in 24 states all across the country. So Boone's Bourbon is a high-proof, cash-strength bourbon at 117 proof. We are 75 corn, 21 rye, 4 barley, and at our price point, we're beating the competition at $40 in the retail stores. Boone's Bourbon is a family-owned business out of Charleston, South Carolina with my father, Mick Boone. Cheers, and we hope to see you soon. You're listening to WCT-FM, talk radio like no other. God, I love the station. Program loaded and ready. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. This is Matt Fitzgibbons. This is Amy Hallam. This is AZ. Sharing the night together. you so very much for sharing your friday night with us right here glad to have you along for the ride we're in the home stretch now and we are not going to let up fun is only getting started we want to kick you into the weekend the right way smart thought good conversation and a little bit of fun along the way uh doug i'm getting an echo on this side We'll see if we can't get that fixed. Maybe it's just be a button there. Oh, I think that took care of it. Thank you, sir. All right. Uh, I am joined by a great musician. Phenomenal, by the way. If you haven't checked out his music, then guess what? You've been exposed to it here for a very long time. Uh, A long time ago, he was nice enough to give me permission to use a couple of his songs for both the intro and the outro. And I have made a habit for a long time of using some of his other tunes as bumper music as well. And just phenomenal stuff, ladies and gentlemen, historian and all-around great guy, Mr. Matt Fitzgibbons. He is with us, Matt. Again, thank you so much for joining us. And before we go into anything, because what always happens if I wait to the end is we almost cut it too short and don't give you enough time. Let everybody know where they can find your work, sir. So everything is available at PatriotMusic.com. And uh, thanks again for the kind words. You know, I love hanging out with you. This is great. It, you know, even if, we, even if you didn't have 10,000 listeners or, you know, whatever it is, I'd, I'd still like to do this on a Friday night with you. Tim, it's great. Always an honor. 
I appreciate that. It's uh, it's fun to get to hang out with folks that really love the country, that love the history, and there's just something special about hanging out with people that have that shared interest, and uh, you are one of the best at what you do. I, I love every piece of music I've heard you do. Uh, I can't even say that I have a favorite, but... Uh, if I tried to pick one, I'd have to settle for three because <laughs> that, that's just how good it is. I can't just pick one. But before we uh, jump in, I want to give you a chance to try to highlight some of your music. We were talking just a minute ago off air uh, about doing something, and we'll do that. But I wanted to ask you another question uh, from a creator's point of view before going too far, and that is with all this debate right now going on about uh, an, an attempt – to ban TikTok in the U.S., whether or not they're going to try to force the sale of TikTok from ByteDance and, and and all these things to try and now suddenly protect us from the CCP, which seems a strange priority for the Biden administration considering they've never bothered. But uh, there is this effort. But the thing is TikTok has been a major uh, way for a lot of young creatives in particular to uh, to get exposure and to make a name for themselves. Now, social media has been great for creators of all kinds for a long time anyway. Great way for folks to be discovered that wouldn't have otherwise, I honestly think. There's probably a few big names. Justin Bieber comes to mind. I'm not a big fan of his stuff, but there's no doubt without social media, he wouldn't have been around. So my first question to you is, are you on TikTok? Because I, I am not, so I have no idea. No, I am absolutely not on TikTok. All right. So you don't have any particular skin in that game. But as a creator, I know you can appreciate the efforts that other creators have done. Uh, how legitimate do you think the uh, the folks that are in that creative space, their argument is in regards to try to keep TikTok the way it is as opposed to them possibly just – trying to take their fandom to another platform. So in all of the writings and uh, interviews that I've done since 2005, I have never had a subject come up where I was an advocate of a law and the federal government coming in and locking something down, except for tonight. Because this topic, and by the way, I hope I, I, I don't uh, <laughs> I hope I don't create another one of our discussions that could go two more hours <laughs> with what I'm about to say. But here's the thing: look, the federal government is supposed to have very, very small, limited powers, and um, TikTok, in my opinion, absolutely falls under the jurisdiction of what was intended by the Constitution. Because at the end of the day, China has made it very, very clear for decades that war with them is inevitable. They seek to take over the planet. They have a larger database on American citizens for DNA than we have in the United States. We've had several generals in recent months who've stated that um, DNA-structured biological weapons um, would be a no-brainer for them. We know that they don't have respect for individual rights or individuals in any you know way, shape, or form. So there are so many different things to talk about China. But the bottom line of this is that any Chinese-owned um, product or any Chinese-owned company by Chinese law must give all of its information to the CCP. The CCP has said essentially that they are at war with the United States and they have been for a long time. It's just not a conventional war. It isn't a kinetic war. It's 
but it is. And if, if you talk to people in the intelligence community, they'll tell you for all intents and purposes, we are. So I really, really don't like to say this to other artists and creators. But at the end of the day, if you're not smart enough to realize how dangerous it, it, how dangerous it is to you as an individual and to our republic to be on this app, right? Tough. This is one of the very, very few things where I say the federal government should absolutely ban it because it's data that goes straight to the CCP and they are our sworn enemies. Even if we don't know we're at war with them, they know that they're at war with us. Yeah, Yeah, and that seems to be the one thing that we have a really hard time getting across. I do spend a lot of time trying to remind listeners that when we talk about Iran and Russia and India and whoever we're talking about in the moment, we're talking about the governments, not the people. And just like when we've had discussions in the past here about Islam, nobody has suffered more under Islam than Muslims. Uh, I mean, they've done a lot of damage to other groups, but as they are forced to conform, they get into that same kind of danger zone. They're treated far, far, far worse than most of us realize. In China, slave labor for the Uyghurs is an ongoing thing, and we've gotten some of these companies like Disney and Nike and Apple that are so dependent on China in that slave labor and they still want to appear to be so woke here that it's so difficult to try and get people to understand the real threat. All of these companies would be better off long term if they would just divest from China and realize that as long as the CCP is in power, that it's not good for the Chinese people either. Uh, If you want to support liberty and freedom, you cannot – continue to fund a war machine, and that is what China is. The CCP is a war machine active against everyone that doesn't feel their interests, and that includes their current list of allies, uh, their allies of convenience. They're there to help wear down the United States to make it easier for them to make their move on Taiwan when they're ready, ready to make their next move beyond that. They're active here in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, They literally have uh, operational military co-joint ventures going on as close as the Panama Canal now. We're being encircled slowly. By farmland, by military bases. They've only just addressed that. Yeah. There is so much that they've done, and it's clearly for a military uh, mission, and we have people that know that. They recognize it, but they just won't say it out loud, and so that's shameful. But going back to the standpoint of the creator, uh, first, I I do want to give myself a little pat on the back. Hey, I'm the first guy to be able to get you to say you're in favor of a law. (laughs) Let's pass a new law. Hadn't happened before. I love my first. But uh, (laughs) – That's true, man. It is a first. It's true. But, I mean, look, this is one of the very, very few things that the federal federal government should be doing. You know, the the irony is that the federal government's not doing any of the few things that we should be doing. It's doing everything else. Right. Uh, So as a creator, though, if you were going to give some advice to uh, somebody that right now is they've monetized, they're making their living over on uh, TikTok – uh, what would you recommend directly to them if one of them was smart enough to come to you and ask specifically? What would you tell them? Very few people are making their money exclusively on TikTok, at least in music. Um, 
I would say uh, just pay attention. Start doing some reading and some research, and you'll see that this isn't in your long-term business interests. Um, generally speaking, people have got their you know their hands in several different pots simultaneously. Very few people have only TikTok. They may you know it it, it certainly lends itself. But at the end of the day, here's what I'm going to say. There's a very high probability that TikTok will be banned um, in the United States. You can ignore my and you know and Tim's opinion that it should be. Okay, forget about all that. The bottom line is, from a business strategy perspective, there's a high probability. So start hedging your bets. Look at other social media so that you can continue doing what you're doing on a platform that still exists. Yeah. All right. Uh, with that having been said, and that's some very good advice, all you aspiring uh, creators of all types, uh, we, we wanted to spend a little time uh, focusing on one of your tunes. And uh, it's one that you picked, and I would presume that means you have a reason for it. So, sir, if you will, uh, if you will take it from right there. In 76, with a stroke of a pen. Jefferson declared the rights of all men that God made us free and that government serves to protect all the rights that each soul deserves and in 78 under cold winter skies troops were Song, as is often the case, I have, like I said earlier, I've yet to come across one I don't like for, uh, that you've done. But I've always been amazed at how well you just simply take the reality of history and still turn it into this beautiful work of art, and that certainly falls into that category, at least in my humble opinion, for whatever that's worth. I'm sure there's a lot of folks that would agree, but uh, you wanted to talk a little more in depth about that? 
Well, yeah, um, you know, during the break, while the commercials were running, um, you were talking about uh, playing a song, and because of the topics that you brought up tonight, this was the first one that popped into, into my mind, and this is actually the one that got me started. Um, well-earned, I wrote this song, I think it was in 2004, and um, this is the one that, you know, I got a lot of traction on this, and uh, people came to me and said, wow, you know, this is something nobody else is doing and to me musically it was a really simple song i probably had a six pack and wrote it in 45 minutes you know what i mean it was one of those things and you never know when it's gonna hit like like something's gonna touch a nerve with people and this one did and um and so tonight when you were talking about these constitutional issues this is what came to my mind you know i've got five albums and i think 55 songs released and this one is ancient <laughs> at least you know in, in terms of all the tunes but this is the one that came to my mind and it's not buried in a sound you know in, in a wall of uh, power chords and reverb and everything so you can hear the words and i don't know it just it occurred to me and as an artist that's what i do i i try to do things that just kind of pop into my intuition and hopefully i hope that the song resonated with some of your listeners yeah i i have a hard time thinking it didn't uh, it's really good but uh, it is one of those songs too that is just a simple expression of appreciation you know, it really does set the message. It, it opens the door for somebody else. If you want to learn more about the history, here's where you should start. But the the one thing that it really does set out and the reason that it came to mind is because the message, as with most good music, is timeless. It is one of those occasions that when you hear a topic like what we were discussing, that should be. What we all try to remember, the, the the conversation we were having, if we were engaged in a debate over whether we should do this or whether we should do that, where does states' rights end uh, in relationship to one another, it would be very incumbent upon us to remember exactly why we have the liberties and freedoms we do. Why do we have this state? Why do we have this association? Uh, we can complain about California all, all that you want to all day long about how crazy the politics are out there. But at the end of the day, California was an independent republic at one point in time, and they saw we had a good thing going, wanted to be part of it. I, I wish the politicians out there still felt that way. Uh, clearly, some of them don't. But we do need to remember every political debate exactly where the republic came from before we take any other step. So I think that's probably uh, a good explanation for why that song kind of came to mind because it really does fit that topic. I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but uh, Ayn Rand once said something that I think is very appropriate for uh, – as a follow-up to what you said. She said something along the lines of um, the smallest minority – on earth is the individual. You can't claim to be a supporter of minority rights if you don't support individual rights. Yeah. All right. So still staying on as the creator uh, side of things, I know we've discussed in the past uh, some of the pushback you got as you started trying to move forward with uh, the more patriotic songs. And, and you've written some that uh, are, are barely even touching 
just barely even hinting at a political slant at all. But all the tunes are neutral. I mean, I, I don't think I have heard uh, any song that's just so uh, abhorrently one side or the other. Uh, a few of them lean a little to the right, maybe. But again, that's just because where we are now, just saying the Constitution should still be the highest uh, law of the land is considered to be a far right-wing extremist view by some. But the pushback against what you were doing early on, has that started to lessen any? Or is there more of an acceptance now? Are you facing the same type of uh, criticisms and uh, efforts to to not embrace your music? Well, one of the biggest issues is uh, the platforms that we're forced to use. Um, I can't comprehend – this is something I'd love to have someone reach out to me if they have some explanation. How is it that uh, you know the Googles and the, the Zuckerbergs and Meta and Instagram and, and Facebook and uh, all these others you – know, okay, Elon Musk solved a little bit of the problem recently by purchasing Twitter. But how is it that these extremely successful capitalists can also be collectivists? I kind of don't understand this. So as an artist who is interested in individual liberty, who thinks for example that antifa are brown shirts for um you know national not even national socialism just marxism outright marxism that blm is racist you know this whole woke culture is intellectually insolvent it feeds back on itself and it's just wrong it's absolutely wrong it's it's the antithesis of individual liberty and yet expressing these concepts on the platforms that artists have access to will get you shut down in a heartbeat so it's not that individual Americans are uh, giving me any kind of pushback. Um, here's an analogy that I like to make. Um, I've said this on many different occasions for different reasons, things having nothing to do with politics or, or you know, music. But if you were to walk through a cocktail party or you know, if someone's younger and they're listening, some kind of a college party and you had a small microphone on and you just walked through the party right, and then went out the other side, listened to the recording, you're not going to get a good representation of what's in that party. What you're going to get is the loudest, most obnoxious people. And this is kind of what's happening when it comes to social media. These guys are locking down messages, even artificial intelligence. This is a bigger topic. But the point is um, I just got invited to two more AIs, AI bots. Um, I love getting AI bots to apologize to me, by the way, by proving them wrong on constitutional issues. I have captures of these conversations. But the point is that um, individuals need to understand that um, it's hard to get a message out that represents what everybody else is thinking because it's locked down. It's locked down by these aristocrats that just don't want debate. They don't want music like mine. And I'm not saying you know that I can't do it. I'm saying that it's unnecessarily difficult. Um, I just I just wish that there was more pushback. For me personally, I want to see text, uh, Section 230 go away. I would absolutely like to see it go away. Yeah. Well, yeah, I certainly think that would be fair uh, as long as they're going to continue to actually edit. You know, it, 
I'm perfectly okay with giving them those protections if they're just being a platform. But once they step across and become a publisher, that changes everything. There were supposed to be a platforms for us to all publish ourselves, self-publication. Then we're responsible for what we post. A certain amount of mediation to keep it from becoming a, a free-for-all where everybody's using such coarse language that you don't want your kids anywhere near it or, or however you want to set that up uh, within limits but since they're not going to behave that way i'm with you let's let's get rid of those protections but i know that it's got to be a a struggle uh, just absolutely frustrating uh, to have such great uh, content available and then for somebody to come along and say oh yeah that's great that's awesome you can post your stuff here you can promote your stuff here and then oh well given the content we're only going to let three people see it uh and it's so difficult to overcome that we were talking uh after the, your last visit about the use of hashtags, but I've become so shadow banned now at uh, uh, certain places that even the hashtags are very rarely raising anyone's attention, whereas that used to be a one-way invitation to get into a, a, a conflict with somebody that disagreed, but you knew for a fact once you got there, lots of eyeballs were seeing it, so you had achieved your goal of uh, folks seeing what you're doing. But the conversation hasn't been squashed down. Uh, Despite Elon's best efforts over at Twitter, he's still fighting an uphill battle there himself. All all the embedded – literally a deep state, if you will, that existed at Twitter uh, is there, and it is so hard to overcome that, but – you know, we had discussed before about how radio stations, the the A the A and R people, didn't want to give uh, time to the music because they were afraid of the the response. And a lot of that has been created by a, a form of groupthink among artists. Uh, I never, when I approach an artist, I never really know what I'm going to get. I'm always hopeful. But uh, last time you were on. Uh, we also had uh, Derek Johnson on, and I had no idea uh, what I was going to get from him. I just knew some of his music, and I, I knew it was country. I thought it was going to be interesting, but as it plays out, uh, where he's at with his 1776 project, uh, it took me aback a little bit. But I love having different guests and different uh, exposures on here. But from your standpoint, do you feel like there's a network of artists – that should unite, that could unite, start pushing back from that level? Or is there just still too much control from the higher-ups that want to placate the woke and are afraid to push back that keeps you guys from kind of pulling together and and doing your own thing? Because it really seems like if you're not a a really well-established artist, you almost have to be afraid to admit even a single conservative thought, and that I know there's conservative people in all of the arts. There may be a trend that's happening in recent times where um, we're seeing, um, and I'm sorry, I should know this, but I don't. I can't remember the name of the song that just made it number one on Apple and uh, Spotify, and they accidentally shut it down, of course, as they always do. Um, But there was a number one song that just came up again, and we're seeing that periodically where um, liberty-minded, conservative-slash-pro-American music is kind of cutting through all of this, and it is making it up there. Um, I think we're starting to... To see some sort of a pushback. So, again, 
glass half full, I do believe that it's possible. But at the end of the day, I'm here for a limited time, right? I'm just trying to make that dash on the gravestone as as significant as I can make it. And so I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm hoping, you know, that there'll be a way to break through this. Um, but again, personal responsibility, I put it on me. So I'd say to your listeners, uh, keep an eye out because I'm going to give it 100% in the next few months. And I'm going to release a couple of songs that I'm hoping are unignorable. All right. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to that, and I'm looking forward to, hint, hint, you coming back on with us, and uh, uh, we'll get those uh, songs played. Uh, Matt, again, thank you so much for uh, coming on and, and being part of the broadcast tonight and being so generous with your time. I appreciate it more than I can possibly express. One more time real quick, let everybody know where they can find your work. Everything is available at patriotmusic.com, and I just love to hear from people, love to get feedback. You've got an idea for a song that you want want to hear someone write, you know, just shoot it over to me with a topic and maybe a, a musical style or something like that. And uh, I love to hear from patriots. Um, I love to hear from anybody, frankly. But, um, Tim, thank you for all the kind words tonight. And honestly, I can't think of a better way to spend a Friday night than with you and Doug. Thank you, sir. Well, that's very kind of you to say, and glad to have you along. And uh, glad to have all you guys out there along for the ride as well. Thank you for listening and tuning in, uh, whether you were here live or if you're just listening to the podcast after the fact and managed to stay here to the end. Thank you so much. You guys are what makes this possible. In the meanwhile, Doug, you know what to do as soon as I say those final magic words, and that is, don't take my word for it. Definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort and most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. Have a great weekend, everybody. in both hands Founders knew the second amendment was the final one to keep To hold our other rights intact so we'd never become sheep Stalin, Hitler, Maureen, and Pol Pot They told us things that you never forgot Teach the lessons to your daughters and sons.
Using both hands. 